Welcome to the weekly sermons and studies podcast at First Baptist. Today's speaker is our senior pastor, Dr. Jeff Reynolds. Let's pray together. Father, we love you and we pray that now through your word and by your Holy Spirit who is in this place, that you would transform us by the renewing of our minds to make us more like Jesus. We have become convinced that this world is in desperate need of hope. And we know that the only true and lasting source of hope is you. And so, Lord, speak your hope into our reality in this day, in this moment. Make us more like Jesus so that when we leave, they see more of you in us. We ask your blessing in Jesus' name. Amen. Over the course of the past week, we've really been talking about the fact that we have a God who goes into desperate places and brings hope. We have a God who goes into desperate places and brings hope. Hope. Did you know that when God looked upon the world, so loving it that he gave his only begotten son, that the world was a desperate place? In Genesis chapter 3, the two individuals that God had created turned against him. They had one rule, but they decided that they could make their way make sense. And so they did. And the result of their making their way make sense resulted in their spiritual death, and it got passed down to all of us. And so what you see unfolding in the world when you turn on your news or pull open your news feed, what you see unfolding is the logical outworking of what it looks like when we do it the way we want to do it. And when billions of people collectively do it the way we want to do it, it doesn't turn out great. So when God looked upon the planet and so loved every human being that he gave his only son, he was loving a desperate place. And he was willing to send his son, the second person of the Holy Trinity, to earth to bring hope in the midst of desperation. And that's what Jesus did for 33 years. He lived his life in a way that brought hope to desperation. You think about the people that he encountered, the people who had physical illnesses that he healed, the people who were dealing with mental illness that he was able to speak life into, the people who couldn't see, who after encountering Jesus could see, the people who couldn't hear, who after encountering Jesus could hear, the people who were dead, who after encountering Jesus were alive. And you know, the Bible says that for all of us, Apart from God in our sin, doing it the way we want to do it, we're all spiritually dead. And that means we're all remarkably desperate. But aren't you glad on this Easter Sunday morning that we have a God who goes into desperate places and brings hope because we have a God who goes into dead places and brings life. This morning, several of us gathered in a cemetery just as the sun was coming up over the horizon And gathered there right next to a cemetery in our city, we proclaimed hope in what our world would call the most desperate of places. Why? Because our Savior, who died on an old rugged cross, went into the most desperate of places, a tomb, and he brought hope. For he who was dead has been raised from the dead. He lives 
And if he lives, then that means we can live. And if you have repented of your sin and given your life to Jesus Christ, surrendering yourself to his lordship and saying, Jesus, be my Lord and my Savior, that means you are alive. You will live with him everlasting life eternally in the presence of Almighty God and all your brothers and sisters in Christ. The resurrection changes everything, but it only changes everything in you once you allow it to change everything in you. Does that make sense? So the resurrection can be a historical fact, it can be a church celebration, or it can be that which reorients everything for you. And it all hinges on whether or not you'll receive Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior. I want to invite you to turn with me to Luke's Gospel, chapter 24. Luke's Gospel, chapter 24. If you're in the room, the Red Pew Bible in front of you, that's page 884. Page 884. And this is the theme and the message that we're going to discuss today. It is this, Jesus is alive, and Jesus brings me to life too. Jesus is alive, and Jesus brings me to life too. Now, we're not going to read those first 12 verses. We're going to start at verse 13. But let me tell you what's happened over the course of the past several days in this narrative. Jesus, the one they believe to be the Messiah, has been anointed. He has raised Lazarus from the dead. He has been anointed by Mary, Lazarus' sister. He has gone into Jerusalem at great peril to his own life. Now, they celebrated him coming in. That's what we did last week. That was Palm Sunday when they sang, Hosanna, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the King of Israel. They thought he was coming to bring a revolution whereby they would no longer be under the thumb of Rome. They were tired of oppression. But Jesus had come to bring a salvation that was so much bigger than merely defeating Rome. No, he had come to defeat their greatest enemy, death. He had come to defeat their adversary, Satan. They didn't understand it. And so the tide of public opinion turned. Can that happen? They loved him for a minute. But when it turned out that he wasn't there to do for them exactly what they wanted him to do for them, they began to hate him. And so we know what happened. We know that he went into the upper room with his disciples, and we know that he instituted there the Lord's Supper. We celebrated it here on Friday night. We know that he said, this is the bread and the cup of a new covenant in my blood. A covenant sealed not on tablets of stone, but on hearts of flesh. I'm not going to be external to you anymore. No, if you'll receive me, I will come into you. I will transform you from the inside out. I'll give you new and eternal life. And then he was arrested. As he was arrested, his disciples scattered. They left him alone, all but the women. And then John came back around to look upon him on the cross as he died. And for six hours that Friday, he suffered the most painful and humiliating way of execution the world has ever contrived. And then he died, and he was buried in a tomb, and they rolled the stone against the door, and they went home. Very early in the morning on Sunday, the third day, the women who had been dying to minister to his body, to, to, to anoint him with spices and to, to take care of him the way he deserved, 
they got there and they discovered that the tomb was empty. The stone had been rolled away and the angel said, I know who you're looking for. You've come looking for Jesus. He is not here. He is risen, just as he said. And so the women went and they told the disciples, and we know from John's gospel that Peter and John ran to the tomb, and we know from John's gospel that John outran Peter. But we also know from John's gospel that John didn't go in the tomb, Peter did. And they all just went home marveling at these things. So I want you to join me just for a moment on a seven-mile journey to Emmaus with two of Jesus' disciples. We know one of their names, Cleopas. We don't know the other. But they're walking back home from Jerusalem to Emmaus. It's a seven-mile journey, and their life was getting ready to change. Luke chapter 24, verse 13, Luke the physician writes as he's carried along by the Holy Spirit saying this, that very day, two of them were going to a village named Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. And they were talking with each other about all these things that had happened. While they were talking and discussing together, Jesus himself drew near and went with them, but their eyes were kept from recognizing him. And he said to them, what is this conversation that you are holding with each other as you walk? And they stood still looking sad. Then one of them named Cleopas answered him, are you the only visitor to Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these days? And he said to him, what things? And they said to him, concerning Jesus of Nazareth, a man who was a prophet mighty indeed in word before God and all the people, and how our chief priests and rulers delivered him up to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. Yes, and besides all this, it is now the third day since these things happened. Moreover, some women of our company amazed us. They were at the tomb early in the morning. And when they did not find his body, they came back saying that they had even seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but him they did not see. And he said to them, O foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. Our first point, Jesus brings the truth to life. Jesus brings the truth to life. Notice the definite article. Not some truth, not a truth, the truth. In what had to be the most profound Bible study ever taught, Jesus walking with these men on the road to Emmaus opens up the Old Testament to them. He opens up the Hebrew Scriptures for them to understand. He, he tells them all the things that the Bible that they had in that time had said about him. Did you know there are more than 300 Messianic prophecies, and every one of them is perfectly fulfilled in the person of Jesus of Nazareth? And so he explains the truth of God's Word to them regarding himself. Now, they still didn't know who he was. They still didn't have an idea that they were talking to the Lord of glory right there. Their eyes were kept from recognizing him, but their hearts began to burn. They said, we had hoped he was the one to redeem Israel. And can't you just feel the disappointment hanging on their words? Don't you know what it's like to say, we had hoped this would go this way. We had hoped that life would come from this move. 
and we found yet again that we were wrong. So Jesus, looking at two hopeless individuals who were just walking home, begins to bring them hope by delivering the truth of Almighty God about himself to them. Well, they still don't understand what's going on. Look with me at verse 28. So they drew near to the village to which they were going. He acted as if he were going farther, but they urged him strongly saying, stay with us for it is toward evening and the day is now far spent. So he went in to stay with them. When he was at table with them, he took the bread and blessed it and broke it and gave it to them and their eyes were opened. They recognized him and he vanished from their sight. They said to each other, did not our hearts burn within us while he talked to us on the road, while he opened to us the scriptures? And they rose that same hour and returned to Jerusalem. And they found the 11 and those who were with them gathered together saying, the Lord has risen indeed and has appeared to Simon. Then they told what had happened on the road and how he was known to them in the breaking of the bread. Our second point. Jesus brings our hope to life. Jesus brings our hope to life. They were disappointed. They couldn't understand all that had happened. Have you ever been there? Have you ever faced moments of life where you were disappointed and you couldn't understand all that had happened? You couldn't understand where God was in all of this? That's where they were. And then all of a sudden, they're gathered around a table with Jesus when he took the bread and he broke it before them. Their eyes were opened and they saw that it was him. And immediately he vanished from their sight. So what did they do? Well, they got up and they went back to Jerusalem. They went back to the other disciples. They went back and they shared the news of what they had seen. But not only that, they went back and received the news of what others had seen, that the Lord was risen indeed. And he had even appeared to Simon Peter and to the women. Jesus was alive and notice that changed everything. I bet their pace was faster getting back to Jerusalem than it had been getting to Emmaus. I bet they ran a little bit faster 10K. Well, I guess it's probably 11 or 12K, seven miles. I haven't done the math. But they got there quicker. Why? Because they were invigorated again with hope. And let me tell you something. Some of us gathered in this service today are longing to be invigorated with hope yet again. Look to the risen Jesus. Because whatever it is you're facing, no matter how desperate it may be, He's bigger, he's stronger, he's more victorious, and he goes into desperate places and he brings hope. He goes into dead places and he brings life. There's nothing more desperate and dead than a tomb. And when they laid him in there on the third day, the Lord God Almighty raised him to life. So. Here's our question. What does that mean to me? What does that mean to you? I mean, it's great that Jesus is alive, and it's great that we celebrate on this day, and it's great that we celebrate every Sunday on the first day of the week, early in the morning, we gather to commemorate the resurrection of Jesus. That's why we worship on Sunday. It's great, but why does that matter to me? Well, I want to turn your attention to another book of the Bible, Ephesians chapter 2. 
Ephesians chapter 2. You can turn over. I'll give you a little trip, trick. Uh, there's Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, and Colossians. And you can remember that by God eats popcorn. I don't know that God eats popcorn, but I had a youth pastor tell me that one time, and it helped me remember Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. Ephesians chapter 2. This is the Apostle Paul writing to the church at Ephesus. Look with me. By the way, if you're in the Pew Bible, that's page 976, 976. Look with me beginning at chapter 2, verse 1. Paul writes as he's carried along by the Holy Spirit saying this, and you were dead in the trespasses and sins in once in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. Push pause for a second. Stop there right after verse 3. Notice what Paul said. He said, you were dead in trespasses and sins, in which you used to walk just like we all used to walk in them. How many of you have some used to in your life? I used to. How many of you who are older than, say, 25 are glad they didn't have an iPhone to capture all your used to's back in the day? Amen? That's a blessing. There's a blessing in being old. It happens. So, but it's necessary to understand our condition apart from Jesus. It's just like when you go to the doctor. They have to accurately diagnose you in order to effectively treat you. And Paul said this, you were dead in your sins and trespasses. So what is the accurate diagnosis of the spiritual condition of someone who is separated from God and has yet to come to Christ? Well, it's not that they're spiritually sick. Spiritually sick people can get better. Spiritually sick people can, can do some good works and, and maybe do a little better. Maybe they won't be as sick as they used to be. But the Bible doesn't say we were spiritually sick. The Bible says that we were spiritually dead. And do you know what dead people can do for themselves? Nothing. No, in order to move, they have to be acted on by an outside force. And so the Bible says that all of us, when we were apart from Christ, sinful and separated from God, that we were dead. And so what had to happen? Well, an outside force had to act upon us. An outside force had to intervene, and he did. Because God so loved a bunch of spiritually dead people that he gave his only son so that they didn't have to say spiritually dead. You were dead, Paul says, in your trespasses and sins in which you once walked. You, you, you were like everybody else, and everybody else was like you. You were held captive to the flesh and to the world and to the devil. But now look at verse 4. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. Two of the greatest words in the Bible come in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 4, but 
God. You were dead in your sins, but God. There was nothing you could do, but God. All your righteous deeds were as filthy rags before a holy God, but God, in his great love for you, extended his grace by sending his son. And let me tell you what Jesus did. Jesus lived the life we should have lived. He didn't sin one time. He didn't sin in thought, in word, in deed, in action, or in attitude. Not one time did Jesus sin. And then God, because he loved us, took our sin and our guilt and put it on Jesus. He superimposed it on Jesus, and then he punished our sin in Jesus at the cross. The Bible says the wages of sin is death. And and lest you think you are somehow better than the rest of us and you haven't sinned, well, the Bible says all have sinned. And if you're real honest, down in the deepest parts of who you are, you know you've sinned too. Just like me and just like everybody else. And God loved us so much that he took our sin and our guilt and he placed it on Jesus. The Bible says, for God made him who knew no sin to be sin for us. And he nailed him to an old rugged cross. And they buried him in a borrowed tomb. But very early in the morning, on the first day of the week when the women went to anoint the body, it wasn't there. For God the Father had raised him from the dead. He which was mortal had become immortal. That which was perishable was now imperishable. And Jesus was the firstborn from among the dead. And he lives today. And he opens his arms and says, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden. I'll give you rest. Quit trying to earn heaven. You can't. Anything that doesn't proceed from faith is sin. Even your good deeds are as filthy rags before God. No, come to me, Jesus says, and receive my grace. Because see, I've done what you can't do. I've paid for the full weight of your sin. I've paid for it all. And then I've also done what you can't do. I got up from the grave. When God the Father raised him from the dead, he was the firstborn from among the dead, meaning this, that everyone who comes to him in repentance and faith would follow him in being raised from the dead and would live forever. So here's our question on Easter Sunday morning. We believe the resurrection is historical fact, and that's great, but if all you believe is that the resurrection is historical fact, then you still go to hell. Have you internalized the reality of the resurrection in you by receiving Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior? Just a moment, we're going to have a time of response, and I would invite all of us to respond in our hearts to God as we sing. And if you've never given your life to Christ, I'm not asking how long you've been going to church or how often you attend. That doesn't matter. Nobody's going to ask you that at, at the judgment seat. They're going to ask you, do you have a relationship with God? through Jesus Christ. That's all that matters. So have you repented of your sin, turning away from a lifestyle that is contrary to God and turning to him, saying, Lord, I'm a sinner, but I believe you sent the Savior, Jesus Christ, who died for me and who rose again the third day. I believe it. And now I ask Jesus to come into my life to forgive me of my sin. 
I receive you, Lord, as my personal Lord and Savior to trust and follow you all the days of my life and to dwell with you forever in glory. Would you stand with me? God loves you so much, more than you can imagine, so much that his son died and rose again for you. Would you receive him today? Let's pray. Thank you for listening, and we hope you'll join us next time. We'd love to connect with you. Just email connect at firstbaptistbg.org or call 270-842-0331.